0: Purposey Podcasts, we deliberately speak to social entrepreneurs, charity founders, and all-round awesome people to hear their founder story. A really warm welcome to episode 22 of Purposey Podcasts. The conversation today is with David Pitcher, CEO and founder of Wheelie Tots. David is a keen cyclist. His vision and passion for Weedy Tots was about social change and social empowerment. I think you're going to really enjoy it. He talks about the challenge of COVID-19, how they pivoted. He talks about his former history. He's a Yorkshireman who's found himself in London. Really nice guy. And I think you're going to enjoy the conversation. Like David Pitcher, massive welcome, David, to Purposely.
1: Thanks, Mark. I'm uh, really excited to be here and, and a bit nervous as well. Yeah, really good to connect as well.
0: Um, often, a lot of my guests so far I know from uh, previously, but we've never met before. And I'm sitting in Auckland and you are sitting in North London, aren't you?
1: That, that's right. And um, even though we haven't connected before, I have listened to your podcast, which is why I'm a bit nervous because um, I found it really interesting and useful and helpful so it's quite uh, exciting to be on something that you've listened to.
0: Great, fantastic. And um, I've got a real interest in what you do as well. So really looking forward to um, hearing more about Wheelie Tots. Um, would you? I thought we could start by um, you sort of outlining what the vision was for Wheelie Tots and, and what you guys do at the moment. And then we can kind of go into the, the kind of history of it.
1: Yeah. the vision, if you like, was all around community development. So making where we live better and from a personal point, making where I live better, which by default should then make it better for everybody else. So our strapline is we believe in healthy, confident, resilient children. And then as the years have gone on, we've extended that to say, we're all about healthy, confident, resilient children, but also families. And we extend that further to communities. So that was the vision. We've done it through this medium of of cycling to date. And then we've just started exploring how we do that through walking. And I guess the way we've done it is for some quite clear, specific reasons, is all around encouraging positive micro interactions. And if we get some macro interactions that are positive, that's great, but that's the very gentle kind of vision uh, and and sort of is is why we are where we are now.
0: Yeah, and so you're part-time CEO and and founder of the charity and it's sort of almost six years old, is that right?
1: Yeah, so it's probably a little bit older. part-time yes but that's kind of four days a week part-time at the moment so it's almost full-time founder i guess it's easy for you to say yes i am the founder i still maintain it was somebody else's idea and i just for some reason volunteered and thought you know i'll I'll spend an hour a week doing this um and, th- and then it's now turned into yeah w- what it is at the moment
0: fantastic and um personal passion for cycling is that is that how it all begun or um you said, you said someone else's idea but do you did you <laughs> love and do you love cycling
1: so i do love cycling but not it isn't just a passion for riding a bike i'm much more interested in in people and i think when i wanted to do some volunteering that's how wheelie Tots started for me and i just wasn't sure what i wanted to do and i thought quite naively at the time well i've never done a charity before let's try one of those and it was also for me at the time to understand why didn't more people ride a bike particularly in a big city like london why didn't more adults ride bikes and then to understand that a bit better We got some really big cargo bikes which are very difficult to store anywhere and then to really understand that we thought well let's put families into the mix and the idea of cycling on a road with a baby um, that's quite a challenging thing to think about so it was almost quite um, for me at the time it was almost just a sort of um, i was interested in how you solve this problem um but actually i was really interested in how how could that be better articulated and then we had a baby ourselves. And then that's kind of what spawned a lot of the thinking. Um, and our son, is he's now nine. So that's where it came from. And then I look back to my childhood about what I've done with bicycles and, and things I've done. That's part of it. And then to complete that story, what I learned probably a couple of years ago now, when I was asked the question, why? Why do you do this? I still then didn't really know and we did a session about vulnerability which is all very fashionable at the moment um but it was a little bit less fashionable well, back then, then. Yeah. yeah and and i realized that if i looked at my own and not to particularly dwell in this but if i looked at my own family situation so my parents and their siblings and their parents and my grandparents um, I wouldn't describe that as a healthy or a confident or a resilient family and it suddenly dawned on me <clears throat> that the reason that I do all of this is almost to kind of prevent certain things that have happened in my family situation happening to other people and these are quite normal things some of them are quite sad but then that's what I was like oh my goodness me that's really why I do this and it, and it was it was a you know it was quite a, it was a very emotional experience, and this is just in the context of like breakout groups with 20 other people having one-on-one conversations, and other people had had a quite a similar experience as well. so it was, it was a real eye-opener for me and, and a real kind of resetter about why I do, what I do, why it's part-time, why and, and, and it, it made things very real for me at that point. It was, it was something, where I would say, it's, it's been quite a transition, very gradual transition, you know, to go from working full-time to then go to working in, the, in, a, in a sort of a charitable, voluntary sector role. It's happened over eight years or so, so it didn't just happen. Um, and the motivation and the drive for it, um, I, th- I think I've just always been that kind of person, and if I think back to... I think back to childhood you know a memory that springs to mind is uh, my grandparents uh who um are both um both passed but i would spend a lot of time with them as a child and they were polish and that's quite exotic for someone who nominally grew up quite english mm. and for example we, um it just popped into my mind we we used to we used to go um bilberry picking in yorkshire on the moors and if you don't know what a bilberry is it's a smaller version of a blueberry and arguably better i would say but but that's what it is so we used to go and pick these things and then my grandfather who was, i guess super entrepreneurial we would then go and sell them in the local greengrocers so as a sort of a five to eight year old and even older that that's what we did and um i never was really sure why we were doing it because we could we made you know, flans and cakes and had ice cream. And we did all these things ourselves. So I could never really understand why he wanted to sell them particularly. Your, your family had lacked
0: resilience or they'd, they'd been through some tough times. Is that, is that the case in terms of your inspiration for sitting up or Wheatley Tots or following through? I,
1: yeah, yeah, I, I, think I absolutely. As, as, I, as I look back at it now, I think that's absolutely the reason. And that's in the context of um, a family coming over from abroad and all of that first, second, I guess, third generation of of immigrant family, where there's just this huge motivation uh, to work. And I think back to a friend of mine who runs another charity called uh, Breadwinners. um, And that's um, Martin just focuses on uh, getting refugees into work and asylum seekers. And we recently ended up providing some bikes to some refugees because a big bike refugee charity wasn't returning calls as it were for quite understandable reasons I should add because of the pandemic so we ended up giving uh, some bikes out and when I met um, one of these people just to hand the bike over he'd come from Hemel Hempstead to Finsbury Park which is not a short journey Um, he came early on the tube because, and, and, and what I didn't realise is there's an understanding that if you are a refugee or an asylum seeker and you have a card, you can show it when you get on the tube and you'll be allowed free travel. Gosh, but I didn't know that. that aside, yeah. yeah, and, 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 and so, so he'd come all the way over to meet me to get this bike and what Martin had told me, he said, David, you, you, you don't understand the motivation of the people that we work with. You just don't understand it. And I'm like, okay, well, I accept that I don't understand it. Now that I've experienced it, I'm still blown away by it, and that's, you know, that's the that, and, and if I bring that back to wheelie tots in general, the people that we end up uh, playing with, working with, helping, laughing with, crying with, you know, just just spending time with, there's this huge motivation that comes for, for in, in different ways for different people. So I don't really see myself as any different to the people that I hang out with. Who all have this drive, uh, it just manifests itself in different ways.
0: Fantastic. And by the very nature of where you are in Parangay and um, North Hackney, is, is that that means you pick up uh, um, other re- uh, immigrants or if refugees or they're typically people who use Willy really top services?
1: Yeah, so there's, there's, there's a real mix. Um, so people that use uh, I guess we could even now call it wheelie tot services. So if they borrow a bike from us, sometimes people buy bikes, but they mainly borrow. Um, or if they get their bike serviced, um, they will, they, says he, <laughs> um, but just come from all sort of socioeconomic and cultural backgrounds. There's a real mix there. It's, it's pretty close to 50-50. And so where, where, where I live is a very diverse area and but there are pockets where you have real homogeneity in terms of culture or in terms of socioeconomic economic um, indicator and if I pull out two areas you know where, where you outline you know, we would say these are very deprived areas and I could tell you whereabouts on the indices of deprivation they are and we'd all agree that they're very deprived however They're also brilliant, really brilliant areas with really brilliant people in. And that narrative is often overlooked. And and I'm not one to romanticise that narrative at all. It's quite gritty. It's very hard. What you see is what you get and what you hear is what you hear. And it's very direct. And being from the north of England, I quite like that sort of directness. Yeah, yeah. you're it's, a Yorkshireman. <laughs> <Yeah>, that's, <good. laughs> yeah. that's it. We know what a spade is, and we know what a half-filled uh, glass it is. Uh, that's it. So, so I am hugely surprised to find myself in—I guess we could call it inner-city London—but mm-hmm. um, but, but having you know, be, being a Yorkshireman and being really comfortable in this um, in this place that I now live.
0: Yeah. I've, I've got a young child now but I've got I, my kids have been other other kids have been young as well and we've done we've done balanced bikes and, and sort of confidence through um, you know learning to ride conquering it getting over your fears like it's really good stuff but yeah I suppose in my own you know my own sort of middle class view of the world is like but isn't that just normal in all families and and so I'm assuming clearly not and Actually, yeah. Wheelie Tots is, is really about focusing on, um, you know, like you said, micro chat, social community chat, uh, advances, changes, yeah. and, and you, really, you guys really drill it down and focus on the, those who need it most.
1: Yeah, we, that's it. If you, if you kind of wanted to divide us, or, you know, what is Wheelie Tots really? It is just a catalyst for improving social integration, which is all about equality and um that that's that's important and then we who you know those of us that work for wheelie tots we we by our nature embody and take on all of that so, but what you were talking about before is yes yeah, so um i remember talking to someone who said ah uh, you know as you just said yeah isn't it just normal and look at all the other charities that exist and you know in in the industry you would sort of use the parlance you know there are there are real kind of bleeding heart charities and well Wheelie Tots isn't really one of those is it and depending on the context I mean it can be but to the context that you were talking about before what you've outlined in that kind of middle class way isn't normal for lots of people growing up um so what what do we do about it and then I could I could certainly talk about um we have these four themes around planning, um, around being comfortable or comfort, around mending, and around doing. And if I then uh, talk to a more middle-class audience, I, I would say, "Well, yeah, we all know what the doing is like, and it, you've just outlined it, and and um, we we know how you can you can get these little things, but." But the the cycling itself is only a, you know, arguably a quarter of it. There's a lot around planning. We have got bikes out to families who have then had them stolen straight away. And I know anecdotally, there have been loads of bike projects over the years where bikes have just been given to people, sometimes with locks, sometimes not. And there's this been an assumption that if we give someone a bike, that'll be good enough. And then some of those bikes were then quickly sold because families absolutely needed the money. (laughs) And if you were going to give someone a 200 quid bike, well, that can easily be shifted for 50 quid. And if you're a bit patient, it could probably be shifted for closer to the 200 if it was new. And then it, it, it brought us back to these themes. So just giving someone a bike isn't, isn't what it's all about. Yeah. Using that bike as a catalyst to plan something, for example, a journey, that's really cool. And Lydia, um, my colleague did a lovely case study about a family who, we got two bikes out to one bike. It turned out was the wrong bike because the measurements that they provided for their child, uh, were just, you know, was, wasn't accurate. And that was with the help of a social worker. So that forced us to rethink our, how we measure, uh, how people measure themselves for our bikes. Um, but we had to go back a second time and we knew after the first visit that actually the mum was really keen for her husband to have a bike because he was a keen cyclist. So we went back with a bike for him. And so by getting it kind of wrong <laughs> initially, we got it so right, uh, the second time. And then we thought, well, why are we just factoring in one, a one trip, you know, a one visit, let's factor in two and let's make this case to our funders there's a real need to really embed some things early on so let's not try and rush it and then the bike becomes something useful and we also have this mode of doing things that are slightly challenging and so if i think back to how wheelie tots was set up that was definitely slightly challenging and but a really good thing to have done and if we can embed this way of doing things that is slightly challenging it isn't easy it means that if I've done something that's slightly challenging and then I know that you have too, and even doing this podcast is, is, is a challenging thing to a degree, yeah. then I know um, after this podcast, I'm going to go for a walk because uh, it's, uh, it's my day off. And I know I'll have done one slightly challenging thing already. So when I come to do this walk, I'll probably re- really relax and enjoy it more so yeah. than that being a slightly challenging thing. So I think I know I'm talking quite generally, But I'm just trying to convey, um, I guess how I do things, yeah, and then how other people have toned that down and adapted that, Um, and so we as a team at Wheelie Tots, you know, we're all quite different people. So
0: so Wheelie Tots income up to you, and you got a you got a bit of a team um, now, haven't you? Which is great. Yeah. What what sort of what sort of
1: money do you have to raise annually to um, do what you do? So that, that's the lovely question. So if, if you look back at the history of Wheelie Tots, uh, you know, the story is it, it started tiny. Our turnover that we and we're just putting in last year's accounts. So I think the last published one was about 80,000. The ones we're going to publish are 107, uh, which was for last year. So 107,000 pounds, you know, tiny amount of money. This year, that's going to be, we're already just shy of hundred. Um, so it might be about 150 or something but here's the thing (laughs) so where my time is devoted now because I know that you can't you can't run a business and well sorry you can run a business and raise finance but it takes its toll and I've seen that on lots of other people and in myself so I will now focus on the finance raising bit where we have a plan to raise about a million and we know what we want to do with that money. We know why we need it. It's all there. And we're just starting to have those conversations with people. So Wheelie Tops has got two options. It could kind of stay as it is and sort of, you know, stabilise. Um, you know, it'll get to that 250000 mark. And it could stabilise around there. And maybe it will. And, and that's a really, really good place to get to. Or we will keep the team small Um We will increase the impact and the reach. And we've got some really good ideas about how to do that. Um, And then we'll just see if we can make some friends along the way who who buy into this um, and will allow us to do what we've always done, which is punch above our weight. And um, it takes me back to when our turnover and and just almost I sort of feel obliged to sort of say this, that wheelie tots, the reason it's about family and the reason it's about these positive micro interactions is that we were given funding to do a project which is called Family Buddy Up and you can find it on our website but and that's kind of by the by. Our turnover at the time was about £20,000. We went to the Mayor of London and said could you give us £83,000. And if you look at that as a small charity, you know, there's only ever going to be one answer to that question. Yeah. However, we had someone who had funded us to do these walking and cycling projects who absolutely, and I've never had this conversation with him and I I keep meaning to, and we skirt around it, but I'm absolutely convinced that he stood in that room and said, you've got to give these guys money because I know what they've delivered for us at a small scale and I know that they will give you a good project. And the funding was for grassroots organizations in partnerships. We went for this 83, we came out with 47. Pretty good. If I look at that, I go, wow, what, what, what a vote of confidence in, and it wasn't just me, it was the other partners that we had. And it made me at the time, absolutely convinced that you have to do things with other people you have to aim high you have to absolutely fail in your aim and we will fail i guarantee in in that one million but we'll either get more or we'll get less (laughs) and 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 i'm not sure which way i would bet at the moment but but that's um and then all of that project is hard baked into wheelie tots now hard baked into the way that we deliver you know the biggest learning for us then when we learn with our partners was if you run a session with anybody just make sure you introduce yourselves to begin with in the way that we did at this in, you know this podcast when you're when you're doing a project with people and if you want to call them beneficiaries you know by all means do but get to know them and it's literally just how are you what's your name what do you like doing In the way that you do in a very corporate sense everybody would introduce themselves and then everybody loves being, being listened to. And even as I'm talking and I know you're listening or whether you're interested or not is, is, is a moot point, but it's really lovely for me to almost just decompress and offload and think about some of these things and, and just be listened to. Yeah. And that is what we have found time and time again is the most important thing. It's, and then if we actually want to actively help, well, that comes afterwards. But there's this period of really gentle and really active listening and it's really important yeah absolutely
0: i mean i think it's a really difficult thing to to found or you know to start scale and then scale uh yeah. you know, not profit a charity because um like you say a lot of funders won't fund you because they you know, don't think yeah. you're big enough and actually yeah. you can my theory is you you know finance can be an evil in that it can make this the founders of businesses or charities um do things they wouldn't shouldn't or shouldn't do at that point in the you know yeah Yeah. and so um you know they obviously saw something in you and you know I think there's a real there is in that founder community which you know I'm starting to get to know through my podcast but um there's some real um there's some real commonalities which I think is uh, passion is absolutely one and, but vision's probably I've noticed is, is stronger on where this can go um, yeah. has, has your because you, one of your you, you, know, you talk about being really good at, at um, the funding piece um, and it, I think it feels like you your sort of um, vision for Wheelie Tots has been there from the beginning and is sort of you didn't necessarily know the end point but you you know what that it was more than just um biking it was you know that you were doing this social good in a certain way um yeah has it been the same from the beginning is it and and maybe a little bit more about um where where that million pounds will get you
1: yeah it it, it, for me it's always been there at the, the beginning and i could count the number of puzzled people who just said what? <laughs> but you're all about kids and bikes. So yeah, the, the, the scalable bit, as you say, and another really amazing learning was do things at your own pace, because there's so much pressure to kind of scale up, as you say, and just treat that for what it is. You don't need to scale up, you know, wheelie tots doesn't need to scale up. It's just that I know there are people who want it to, and then, therefore, I feel it incumbent not to let them down. And we will be about, I think, two things. The scalable bit is this, these positive micro interactions in a, from a sort of a charity perspective, that's the really scalable bit about what we do and what we can apply everywhere. If I look at that in a purely commercial way, we're all about giving families and particularly children access two bikes which are quite expensive things and that doesn't mean access in the sense of come along at this time in this day and get to ride a bike and go home again it means we're going to put one of these things in your home and if it doesn't fit in because you don't have the space we're going to have a really fun conversation about how you hang a bike on a wall and other ways of doing this and how you can twist bars around so they don't stick out and there are pedals you can get so that they don't stick out either and they fold up And you can get an adult-sized bike, I mean, literally anywhere. It just takes a bit of creative thought. So there's a piece around access to bikes, just per se, that is a real problem. And then back to that social integration piece. It's, well, what do you do with it once you've got it? Because you can either use it for yourself, which is great. And we've just set up a bike club because we've wanted to do this for a long time. But with your bike, you could let someone else have a go of it. And that's the way if you want to romanticise the past. Families had one big heavy bike between them. If you fell off it and it fell on top of you, it would crush you. <laughs> but but that's how children learn to ride bikes, very much by falling off and getting on again and by not having access to high-end bikes, but just having access to something that they could use as a means to transact between themselves. And then you could... people who are interested in fishing or other activities football you know you name it it's just providing the means to transact so you know wheelie tots will and this is kind of exactly where we're at at the moment is you know should we become a trust or a foundation should we go down that route or should we be all about the earned income in a social enterprise kind of a way um i don't know My, my, my trustees are pretty clear about what we should do um and then I, I kind of agree with them, um, because they've said, well, you know, well, let's try both. So yeah.
0: David's done a great job of explaining what Wheelie Tots is all about and how it's set up to help people through the sport of cycling. He now talks about his work history and how this led him to a life of purpose.
1: Enjoy. I was from the north of England, very proud Yorkshireman and there was no way that I was going to move down south where there were these people called southerners and everybody was broadly speaking just far too wealthy for their own good and that, and that really wasn't my vibe um, and, it, and I find it really curious to look back at <laughs> what a blinkered kind of world view, well, it wasn't even a world view, it, it was a very local view um, that I had. So I did that Masters, which had a an amazing title. It was called GIS, which is Geographical Information Systems with Water Catchment Dynamics and Management. And I went and interviewed for a job down in Exeter. Um, and the management was all about how you manage water catchments. So I absolutely know how to, how to manage the area around a river or a, or a lake or any body of water uh, but it's kind of assumed that the management was was more kind of like business business administration stuff I think um but anyway I ended up working financing large and small scale well, well actually at the time very large scale renewable energy projects and one of your previous guests on your podcast is Tim Smith who I've never met yeah. but I've met through your podcast and I learned what I considered probably one of the most valuable things in life, which is A, how to run a finance raising process, but B, to understand what financing is in the context of it doesn't matter what something costs. What matters is who's going to pay for it and how you're going to basically carry that bucket around and get people to to throw into it. And so the Eden Project... Um, my boss at the time, just a, a, probably the best ever kind of first boss I could have just been lucky enough to, to land with. Incredibly intellectual guy, just just a phenomenal, just a phenomenal brain. And this is uh, uh, Jonathan. And when I listened to Tim Smith, I could just hear lots of my first boss in there. Yeah, and
0: what company was that and... with?
1: Uh, that was with Ernst and Young, as they were then, or okay. EY, as they yeah. are now. So in Exeter, it was a satellite London office, which you just couldn't make this stuff up. So I was in and out of London an awful lot, um, but basically working in London and, and living by the quayside in Exeter by the river, and living a very kind of rural life. Um, mm-hmm. But it was it was it was a really wonderful first. A proper job i'd had other jobs before then which were equally useful um but that around financing really set me up for what i'm sort of nearly old enough now to have said i've got a career yeah and so um,
0: which led to you know really great career and and um what what uh for the untrained eye which is mine is um renewal renewable energy um yeah that sort of field like you work for energy saving trusts um what was it like you had that seminal moment and obviously to collect, you know do you do you miss that part of your life do you, do you do you have a desire to kind of get back do you do some of that on your fifth
1: day that you don't work or exactly yeah. yeah so yeah that, that, that's that's exactly right i it's not where i grew up i really miss where i grew up i think it's one of the most beautiful places in the world of all the places i've been this little valley so i better not tell you where it is in case everybody goes there um but i when i left and young i left to join a charity um and that was a pretty blunt transition um but i did all of that um i think because i wanted to apply what i knew at a different scale and then i remember doing that and particularly when i joined that charity which We then ended up selling the charity to a local authority, which again is, well, just one of those things. But I remember being told at the time, if you join this charity from where you've come from, you will never work in the private sector again. And that was my interview. And at the time I was like, okay, whatever. (laughs) Um, But since then, I've I've been back in the private sector, did a lot of work with utilities around smart grid, which is this interface of IT, uh, telecommunications and kind of traditional utility uh, energy utility company and so I've always kind of flipped and flopped and as you say yeah that's that fifth day which I haven't applied I guess I've been asked to go back and do something in a corporate sense which I'm mulling over whether I do or not but where I've applied that fifth day over the past year is to help my partner who is building just about to finish uh the uk's um it's the first straw bale visitor center is the way i think about it it's just a very eco building in a really sensible normal way and that needed some money um it's predominantly funded by grant um but that's where i've kind of devoted some of that fifth day yeah. um, and then when wheelie tots has been like really um pressured I've just needed that fifth day just to literally watch a movie and just decompress. And, you know, Wheelie Tots isn't like that anymore, which I'm really pleased about.
0: The conversation now turns to the pandemic, COVID-19, and how overnight their services cease operating, at least initially, but they take it online, they pivot, and they make sense of it all.
1: lockdown where i wasn't in a great place for a variety of reasons and then we got broken into and literally all our bikes were nicked from one of our stores gosh and so this is going back to context this is back to lockdown one kind of march 2020 oh my gosh oh my gosh yeah so then i was mugged on our electric bike after doing a session with it and that was you know And I was like, you know, it's time to pack up now. (laughs) It's time to go and find some solace in that, you know, in that corporate world again. You know, maybe, maybe it's just the way forward. But then a number of things happened. And for reasons I don't fully understand, we, well, sorry, I I now look back at it. I'm starting to understand because I was in shock. There's no two ways about it. I was in absolute shock from what had happened. This pandemic thing arrives. And in my shock, I said, well, let's give it a good go then. Let's see what we can do. And when the money runs out, the money runs out and we've given it all our best shots. But we run something called Your Bike Project on on a North London estate called Broadwater Farm, which is a very special place uh, for a whole variety of reasons. And it's a place with a history, quite a gritty history. Um, But we spoke to young people who were coming along for this project We'd always get lots of passers-by because everything we do is outdoors. And we said to the well, order, you know, what do you think you need? What do you want? It was pretty clear. We can't buy food. <laughs> we need food. We need other basic necessities. And we're like, okay, there was an emergency fund, a local one and a national one that we applied to saying, well, look, we've, this is what we do. We've spoken to people. They've all told us this is what they need. Could you give us some money to set up a food bank? Because we think that's the most efficient way of solving this problem. And just by, I even get a bit emotional now, but just, just by virtue of the fact that um, the council and also an entity called Haringey Giving just said, look, we're going to stick by you, um, you know, for me, it just meant uh, so so much because, you know, when everything is, is literally <laughs> going off the scale, um, so that meant an awful lot to me. When people say, look, we... We want you to be, um, to make it through. Um, We think this food bank, if you think it's the right thing to do, we'll support you. And then that food bank now has become a real component of the social aspect of what we do. And then you think, well, look, here's an entity called Wheelie Tots running a food bank. You know, what's all that about? But it doesn't matter.
0: That was your pivot. So you you suddenly had to, you know, you couldn't do in person. Yeah, services and you had, we had
1: resources and you had energy and you had, you know, you wanted to help. Yeah. So that pivot, that food bank pivot then made us realize that we could do bike stuff. It just had to be on a one-to-one basis and it pivoted online. And we now call that virtual. So for example, if you've got your bike in front of you now as a qualified mechanic, I can absolutely help you service your bike. And I know you're in New Zealand and I'm in London, but honestly, it works absolutely fine. And as soon as we realised we could do this with young people, we then, for that project, were able to have chats with them about the other stuff, not just the bike. Um, And then we realised we could do it with parents and toddlers. And we've just finished a suite of sessions that started in the second lockdown over here, started offline and have ended virtually where we've been doing what we're doing now um, in kind of evening catch-up sessions with parents. They'll go out, uh, dial into Zoom, we'll say hello to them and their small people, we'll run the session pretty much in the way it works offline, and then it has this huge, huge benefit that none of us ever realised in that it's a lot more intimate, and we always wanted these positive parent-child interactions, which you may have seen from that video online, And then we realized as soon as we're not there, there's nothing to get in the way of a positive parent-child interaction, i.e. the session leader or the other children or the other families. And we've got these wonderful um, bonding moments between parents and toddlers where on the face of it, some of those parents were just coming along for a bit of free childcare, as it were. Um, Some were just coming along to chat to each other. The toddlers were there to interact with each other because that's always just a brilliant amount of fun. You know, there's always one who isn't in the right uh, state of mind to begin with, but gets there by the end. There's always some that get a bit distracted, but then the others pull them back in. So we know how to manage that group dynamic. But as soon as we took that to a group online dynamic, it was really, really special. And, I, and I'm now a firm believer that those sessions are much better than our in-person sessions. But then I know the parents that still come along to the in-person sessions, they, they haven't experienced this online or mm-hmm. virtual session yet. And, you know, that's something that over the coming years, we, um, we will have an awful lot of fun with. Yeah, that really surprises me, actually. I mean, it's,
0: there'll yeah. be things that won't go back to normal. As we move towards wrapping up, what, mm-hmm what do you wish you did you'd known before you started down this journey um and and, <laughs> yeah. and any, adv- any advice for um someone who's got a you know a passion for something they want to turn into a social enterprise or a charity or i, I think even if
1: whether it's a social enterprise or charity or even just you know something quite private sector and businessy I, I think i remember thinking for a long period of my life I wish things could have just been easier for me. I wish there had been people there to help me. Um, and there was this concept of you know, being grandfathered into roles. And I thought, oh, I just wish I'd had someone who, who could have looked out for me you know, when I started my first job. And then it dawned on me. And then I went through a period of time where, well, look, I'm just going to be kind. So I think my, my one piece is just be kind. If you've got the opportunity to be kind, it is quite an effort, but do it don't expect anything in return but be kind and then I sort of look back at my life now and I think there are times when I absolutely didn't listen so that help and support was always there somewhere I just didn't see it for what it was or what it could be at the time so I think looking back um, and if anybody else is thinking of starting out you can't do it all alone you might believe that other people have done it all alone from what we read, um, but that's never true, so, um, that's probably the um, the main lesson I've learned. Um, and the other one then is, is always to you know to say thank you, you know, for those two words when somebody has helped you means so much. And I, one of our volunteers yesterday, um, I was speaking to her and she just said, oh, I just really appreciate everything you've done for me. And it really threw me because I thought, I don't think I've done anything much for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and then there, that that then made me reflect as I'm talking to you now, I, I know what we've set up and, and what I I have done and what other people have done, but it's so nice when somebody says thank you um, because, you know, it's all, all, all that's needed really.
0: It's hugely huge important because, you know, we all know in our own lives when a, a helper, a crucial point has just made all the difference. And, yeah. um, you know, and, there, you know, it's reciprocated if, you know, and I think if you do put it out there, it will come back to you. I'm a firm, firm believer yeah. in that. Um, a massive thank you for listening to Purpose It Podcasts. I'm thoroughly enjoying bringing these stories to you. Visit our website, purposelypodcast.com. Join our tribe. Leave your email address. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please hit subscribe. Please leave a review. Really appreciate it.